Listen to me. Think. Think. I can't think, think. anymore, George. I can't think anymore. It hurts. Where's that money, you silly, stupid old fool? Where's that money? Do you realize what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. That's what it means. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Hey everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Pop, the show where we try to understand the present while living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. And I am Bob Canning. Merry Christmas, Bob Canning! Oh, that's not good. <laughs> that, that was great. That was supposed to be a Jimmy Stewart impression, that clearly. Was, I, I thought Jimmy Stewart was in this room. Was it the impression or was it the fact that, well, that's the only line I know of Jimmy Stewart, him saying Merry Christmas to an item? It was it was both. It was perfection, Tim. Great. It would be cool if I did a podcast where I pretended to be Jimmy Stewart. For an it was entire like a episode? Mer- for the entire podcast. Like every <laughs> for the episode. entire run of the podcast. But it was like, you know how people love murder podcasts? Like yeah. it was that. So it was like dead serious, like child murder, talking about it, but as Jimmy Stewart. How would that you know, go oh. exactly? <laughs> The boy, was, I can't, I can't do it now. I, I know what that. The boy was. It's not even a Foghorn Leghorn. I don't know. I was all set to trash well, people well, who like. He came at him with a knife. <laughs> That's pretty good. Maybe you should do that podcast, and I'll and I won't do it. That was very, yeah, Mickey Rooney. No, not Mickey Rooney. Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart's the name we were Mickey saying. Rooney. And uh, this is our Christmas episode, not our murder episode. Uh, no. Thank you, everyone, for 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 tuning in. Thank you, Bob, for being here. Thank you, Christmas, for happening. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll say we won't, we won't oversay it because we're going to have to in the next couple of days. But yeah, we're, it's um it's it's our last episode before Christmas. Oh, and I'm excited for this one too. For this episode, yeah, and we're doing it as a retro shock. And for anyone that's new to the show and doesn't know what a retro shock is, we are going to talk about uh, a piece of pop culture from our past <clears throat> that maybe we haven't gone back to in a while, or maybe we've never seen as as. Well, no, I guess that would be a never seen. It is something we've seen but haven't gone back to in a while. Are we talking about volunteers with John Travolta and Ari Gross? That might be what we're talking about today. No, but today we're retroshocking. I've seen that. Uh, That's true. We're going to today retroshock It's a Wonderful Life. I never watched this growing up. You never caught a bit of it? I knew what it was because I caught, you know, we were talking about 90210, that episode last week. And on that episode, they're watching It's a Wonderful Life. That's how I saw it. It was referenced in things. I think the first time I saw a clip from it, it was on, it's in the movie Gremlins when I saw that they're watching It's a Wonderful Life. It wasn't until you and I were roommates living together and you had the poster on the wall and the VHS that I actually sat down and even watched it with you. I'm curious, did you ever, do you recall ever seeing, um, a show do the what would the world have been like without you bit prior to seeing it's a wonderful life like did you see that as that that aspect of the movie in other medium yeah this is one of those things that's so ingrained in pop culture we've talked before about the godfather jaws things like that where it's like it's been referenced parodied talked copied enough that even without knowing it you know it and this was one of those for me 
And I never quite got the fascination with it. I never wanted to sit through it. And honestly, when we met and you had the poster on the wall, I like you, you have, you had an old poster for the movie that you put up in our dorm room, I think. Well, it was a new poster in the old style of what the original poster would have been like. Um, yes, I did. It was one of those things. And I think you have said this about me before. There are certain things coming out of high school that would have um, been my pop culture references. And and I was thinking about these the other day in anticipation of this show. I was a very vanilla kind of guy, I guess, <laughs> because I was I was a huge Huey Lewis in the News fan. Nothing controversial there. Harry Connick Jr. fan, you know, a little modern jazz, uh, and a big fan of It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, those were my big three things. I guess the far side was the other thing, and that was maybe well, that's where dark. I, that's yeah, that's maybe dark. a little bit of twist. Um, but but yeah, so I was like this this you know wholesome you know middle America, Huey Lewis loving, <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life wannabe kind of guy. Now, do you you say it's a wonderful life wannabe? Do you think you gravitated to the movie and returned to the movie because you were connecting with what the movie was about, or do you think you took from the movie something and tried to live that in your life? Because I I know enough of the movie where there's a bit of it's you know Jimmy Stewart, the actor, is in it, who is also an actor I never cared for because I just didn't know him growing up. I like him now, but growing up, I just thought he was this overrated guy that everybody talked about that Dana Carvey did impressions of on Saturday Night Live. But he's like an optimist in the movie, right? This is supposed to be an optimistic uh, character. N- no, uh, in the movie, he's I mean, he's not really an optimist or a pessimist, uh, but he's a dreamer. Uh, so maybe that's the optimistic side that you're seeing. He's a dreamer. He wants to uh, have adventures. He wants to travel. He wants to leave his small town and see bigger things, and learn about different cultures. And uh, eventually, uh, his ultimate goal was to become uh, an engineer, an architect, and to build things and to uh, make bridges that spanned miles and, and t- enormous buildings. And uh, that was his dream, to travel and to build and to create. Was that appealing to you as a kid? Um, yeah, I could relate to that for sure. I mean, you and I were both from small towns, and so I could absolutely re- relate to that. Um, I don't think at the time, though, I don't think as I grew up, um, that's what I was drawn to, and, and that's what I felt uh, why I like put that poster up, and I wanted to feel, I wanted people to see me connected to that movie, not necessarily because of his his dreams, uh, just but because of his his goodness. Uh, because even through all of that, all of the things he wanted to do, uh, he kept having to make hard decisions to not do those things for the greater good of his family, of his community. And I kind of, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good feeling and a good thing to do and to be. And um, I kind of, that I think is what drew me to it. Now, you had the poster up year round. I, you had it on VHS. Was this solely a Christmas movie for you? Uh, yeah, I, I never really watch it any other time of the year. Oh, so it is very much that tradition. Yeah. And do you share that tradition now with your wife and your kids? Uh, I share it with my wife. I'm looking forward to sharing it with my kids. They do not sit through things uh, that aren't cartoons for very long. They certainly aren't fans of black and white. And so I've been waiting for them to get at a good age, and I think this is the year I'm going to try and do it. Oh, so you're going to, you might introduce it to them this year? Yes, sir. Are you nervous about that? Is that? Um, I'm not really nervous about it. 
Um, I guess the one thing that concerns me with it, as it has with every little pop culture thing that I've loved in my in, in my past, um, is that I presented to them at the wrong time in the wrong way to where they'll never, ever want to be interested in it. Um, and I, I've said this before. I think I did that with Star Wars. Um, and I hope I don't do that with It's a Wonderful Life because I really think it's something that uh, that they'll enjoy. And I think it's something that they can grow with too, because you, you enjoy it on different levels, you know, as you see it throughout the years. Huh. I know. I'll be interested to see it because I will be honest. I find it a fine movie. I'm not a fan of the movie in the sense that I've ever gone back to. I've watched it all the way through once, just with, with me you. in that sitting, and it was nerve wracking. One because was I like staring at you the whole time? No, I, it was an important movie to you for one. So seeing it with you, I got that too. This was the time of my life where I embraced nothing harder than I embraced Mystery Science through Theater 3000. So I talked <laughs> through everything. That's true. And I was so set to talk through this movie. And in the back of my head, there was a little bit of, well, that's going to be obnoxious. He loves this movie. But also there's there just- There is a joke uh, that I always think of that you said during the viewing of this movie. And I can't remember it off the top of my head here, but I will come back after we watch it. I will tell you what it was because there is something that is said in the movie that I remember there is a line that then you say in reference to it. Um, oh, I, th- I think I remember now. I think I remember now. I don't want to ruin it for you. Watch well, it, it and tell sounds me. Sounds like I ruined it for you and talking through it because that's the thing. Like I, and I it, apologize. It is now. Now that I've since seen it, every time I've seen it since our viewing. It is the one thing I I always remember uh, about your mystery science theater take of uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I don't, because I don't remember this. I don't remember this movie. I know the clips really? I've seen. I know the things that have been parodied. And I just, I remember it was a big deal to sit down and watch it with you because it was one of these things that was at that point mammoth, similar to like when we've talked before about, yeah, we said Jaws and Bruce Springsteen, things that we just don't go to that have been around. And this was one of them. So there was no way that I could sit through what a lot of people consider one of the greatest Christmas movies with one of its biggest fans and not have the feeling that you have when you show stuff to your daughters of, what if I don't like this? Yeah. Because it has that kind of touchstone, and I've never gone back to it. Well, I, I I like that we are going back to it, so you can kind of watch it without that hanging over you. It'll just be, hey, let's watch this movie, um, and hopefully you can just see it as it is, just for what it is, and not for it being one of my favorite movies of all time. As I watch it to speak of it in detail <laughs> on a podcast. So, yeah, but let's check it out because you love it. I barely remember it. And in, if it's still in public domain, I can go find it. I hope so. you can. I'll, I'll send you one of my six copies. Um, <laughs> good memory, bad memory, though, uh, right. which is what we do with our retro shocks. shocks. Um, it sounds like it's like no memory for you. It's, well, it's no memory. I'm going to say good memory because I know it meant a lot to you. And I do remember making it a point to sit down and watch it. But yeah, it doesn't, uh, it's not resonating in my head. Yourself? Clearly a good memory for me. That's true. Um, Good memory through childhood, good memory through high school and college. And it continues to be a movie I come back to. Um, So yeah, definitely good memory. That's cool. It's it's your Howard the Duck. (laughs) Yes, and they're very similar too. 
So when you watched it for the, for the for the show, was this your screening of it for the year? Did you watch it with your family? Did you watch it by yeah, yourself? Yeah, no, we did. We did a family viewing. Uh, and your daughters. It was, yeah, it was my first time with the daughters. And how did it play for them? It did okay. Um, I had to, you know, tell them everything about the movie first. I tried <laughs> I tried not to ruin it, but you have to, like, my kids will not watch anything unknown um, unless it's, like, at their age level and they really want it. But if, um, if they don't know what's going to happen, if they don't know if he's going to live or die, they want to know these things before they sit down and watch it. So as the movie began... I think they got – one of them, especially the older one, got bored of it and she would leave the room and come back, leave the room and come back. But the other one sat on the couch, watched it right through. Um, there are a couple questions sometimes about what does that mean, what's happening and that makes sense and it was fun to engage and talk about it. Um, the, the the run on the bank was something we really had to get into, uh, <laughs> what was happening there and why it was important. Were you nervous sitting there with your kids? Um, no, I wasn't too nervous like that they wouldn't enjoy it. It starts out with, with the stars, the angels talking, and that's really interesting for the kids. I think they got engaged pretty quickly with that. It's um, interesting, too, because that's what special effects were in 1946. Yeah, right. My impression of this film this time, and I don't think I had this last time, but, but what it seems to be about to me, the broader strokes, and what the character of George Bailey, the tragedy of George Bailey as a character is, is that... This is a movie that's about being um, saddled with adulthood. You know, this is a movie about being in opposition of every choice you make because it's the adult decision. Yeah. You know, we see George, you know, we hear him talk about how he doesn't want to stay in Bedford Falls. He wants to get out of Bedford Falls as a kid. He doesn't want to work at the savings and loan. That's what his dad did. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to get married. You know, he has all these things that we see him, you know, he wants to grab life, travel the world, whatever, and not do all of these things. And each thing becomes, in a way, a responsibility for him. And this optimism that the town knows him for, this this, this joy, joy of jovial, buoyant guy running around, that's in a way, that's all a coping method. Yeah. You know, when when Jimmy Stewart first shows up, he's a little too enthusiastic for me. Oh, yeah. At the beginning. Oh, for you? For me, he is. I mean, I, I don't quite know what's up with his. He's got almost like a baby voice, like, you, it's so exciting. Like, it's, I don't, it bothers <laughs> me. You know, we get it. You're a good guy, blah, blah, blah. Well, he's also an older gentleman playing a younger version of, of that character, you know, because um, he's got to kind of, uh, maybe that was a little bit of the choice that they made to, to make sure we saw him as the younger version that we're going to see kind of grow throughout the movie. But I could see how it annoys you. You're easily well, annoyed. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying annoyed. I'm saying that because I was thinking, like, is this the character, you know, that just the, you know, the, the kind of character that's in movies where it's like everybody loves him and yet he's almost borderline, he's almost a borderline sex predator at times. <laughs> he's almost, he's a little too in your face. He's a little too perfect where it's like in the real world, we would hate this person because it's like the goody goody that the popular guy, the most popular, whatever. But, and again, it's a great performance and Pretty quickly, and this is why this thing about him, about this idea that he's getting the life he doesn't want through, you know, the responsibilities of being adult. I like that this is a persona that maybe he's projecting. I could relate not so much to that, but what I do relate to, I guess, the, underneath that is he has a rambling sense of anger. <laughs> that comes up throughout the movie when he's annoyed, when he's frustrated, when things are falling apart. And that 
that I could really relate to because there is this weird thing of he gets mad at his kids and he apologizes to his kids. He gets mad at his wife and then he feels bad about that. Even when he comes home at one point and he's furious with the day and it's supposed to be like, I just had the worst day. He holds his kid and he cries before exploding on the family. Yeah. Like those little parts, that all says a lot to me that does not say joy and it's a wonderful life. And if anything, that that's like, this is how it is. This is realism. <laughs> life sucks. And I don't know. I, I kind I enjoyed getting that wave in the movie and it's a funny movie. And there's a lot going on. We're going to talk about a lot of it, but I don't know what, what's your take on George as a character? What do you think at the heart of George Bailey? Do you think he's sincere? Do you think this is an act? Uh, I don't think it's an act. I think I think the heart of George, the thing that makes George George, is that he is just a good person. What does that, that mean to be a good uh, person? He he doesn't put himself first. Uh, he's selfless. He uh, takes responsibility for his his family's uh, company. He takes responsibility for his brother. He helps him. You know, he had saved his own money to go to college, and when. When uh, he was stuck, he had to stay and, and, and run the building and loan. Instead of keeping that money for himself and just using it for whatever he wanted to use it for, he gave it to his brother so he could go to college. So his brother didn't have to spend four years trying to save up the money to go. He gave it to his brother so he could go uh, right then and there. Um, when, when at the end, when Uncle Billy is the one who is responsible for losing the money, uh. he never acknowledges that part of it. Whenever he, he calls him a stupid old man. I think he's stupid, acknowledging yeah. that that's No, the... <laughs> no, he acknowledges it to Uncle Billy, but he doesn't tell anybody else that Uncle Billy did it. He said that he lost it, that he, the company lost it. He didn't put the responsibility, he didn't put the blame on Uncle Billy. Yeah, but and that then, scene does play like, a, it's not going to get me, see? The cop is coming for you. It's not going to be me. Like, that's, I, yes. I like that. I mean, because that was a snap. And you're right. Right, when he, he does snaps. smooth it he, over, and that's impressive. And when he when he, when he he has that calm moment, and he's trying to figure out how to do it, and he has to crawl to Mr. Potter to see if there's an option there, um, he could have said, you know, my my stupid uncle. Uh, but instead, he said, I've, I've misplaced $8,000. Uh, that's, that's how I see George Bailey. He's just... Good, and sometimes you don't see the results of that good. Um, you're just going to live your life being a good person, and often you don't see the results of that. And I think the movie is trying to tell you that even though you're not seeing it, it's out there, it's happening. Um, and and that's that's how I see It's a Wonderful Life and George. Well, and I think that's what happens. And honestly, I to jump around a little bit, like I know it plays on the heartstrings with sincere sentiment. It's not just schmaltz. Yeah, I've got like four hard cries at different points in this movie. Oh, really? I'd be yeah. curious what they are. What What are the four um, hard cries of It's a Wonderful Life? Maybe it's not four, but the first- What are the three hard cries? The three hard cries. Uh, the first one is always when um, he comes back to the drugstore, um, Young George, and uh, Mr. Gower is mad at him for not having delivered the medicine. And he starts smacking him and his ear starts bleeding. Um, and Mr. Gower's drunk and upset that his son just died. And through tears, George is telling him that he didn't deliver it because he thinks there's poison in it. And the moment – God, I'm getting choked up right now. The moment Mr. Gower realizes what had happened and he just sort of in an instant sobers up and apologizes and hugs him, I'm, I'm just out. I'm crying right, like that whole scene. That's not sure. an awkward hug. That guy just abused a kid. <laughs> He's apologized. Yeah, it was it was terrible. It was horrible what happened, uh, and he was not himself, Mister Gower. And and so, 
um, that moment, that whole scene, the fact that that George was was strong enough to 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 to, to disobey his his boss's uh, order and and uh, get save his his career basically and and go through that and and never tell anybody. I'm always I'm always crying there, at that. There's scene. not like an underlying thing of shame or, or I don't know, there's something about how he's getting hit that is unsettling to me because we're supposed to still like the pharmacist character we're supposed to think that that's a sincere hug uh, he hit that it's like the, you ever see the family ties where tom hanks hits michael j fox oh yeah i watch that a lot it's <laughs> a great <laughs> gif he's a drunk it's a great and gift. alex is, is like worships he's alex's uncle and alex worships yeah. him and and he hits him yeah. Like he drunkenly slaps Alex and I just, it's, un, I, that is unsettling. I don't, it's odd that there's forgiveness for that, but I guess that's, that's an element of, of the character. What's, what's the second, uh, second thing that made you tear up? Uh, and this is in watching it this last time. Zuzu's pedals. I will always cry when, when the, the, the happiness that George has when he realizes he's back into his regular world, his, his home. Uh, and he's so happy to see Bert the cop and that his lip is bleeding and then there's a moment of of pause of clarity and he's like Zuzu's pedals and he pulls that out and he goes there they are Bert what do you think about that or what do you know about that and he's just so happy so that always gets me and I always cry when well I always start crying when Mary comes home so he comes home and he's kissing his kids and then Mary comes home and she's so excited and she starts saying, oh, come downstairs, they're coming. I always start tearing up there. But then the waterworks totally break out when um, I think I think they're reading a, a telegram from Sam Wainwright and George looks at Mary and Mary, who's standing on a chair, looks back at George. When that exchange happens, I just I lose it because it's just love and happiness and uh, it's more. It's just love. She loves him so much, and he loves her. Is, is she given a fair character? The Donna Reed. Donna Reed plays. Is it Mary? Yeah, Mary. Yeah, this girl who's younger than George, correct? Yeah, by about four years, four or five. Because they I, and they have a flashback where they meet, and and George makes it a point of saying, "You're 18." Like is his line. Yeah, basically a way of saying you're legal, but he does you know <laughs> kind of that, and he steals her from a boyfriend, basically. Yeah. It's a sweet. It's it's it might be you know cinema's first meet cute. Who knows? But it's this playful little flirt thing coming back to town. Gets a little pervy when she loses her robe and he's kind of uh, ogling her and and wandering around her. But yeah, they 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 get together and and I I love Donna Reed. I, mean, I used to watch the Donna Reed show in reruns. I think she's 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 a decent character. She developed, is she one of, is she a developed enough character that you get why? I know you're saying it's true love when they make eye contact. Do you get why they're into each other? Is that an element there or is that just where it starts? Yeah, I, I, I get it. And I think I get it more and more um, over the years as I've seen it uh, because there's a lot of blanks you have to fill in and they have, I think it, I mean, I think it's a really good movie because they've got lines of dialogue that maybe I don't notice the first few times I saw it, but I'm, I, I see them now, where you're filling in the blanks of what their childhood was like. They were, they knew each other all through childhood. We didn't see all that, but they did. He was friends with her, her brother Marty. Um, Is that the kid who keeps saying "hee haw"? Uh, that's Sam Wainwright. 
Oh, that is. Yeah. Why does he keep saying hee-haw? Just Who ass? Knows? Is that what that it's, is? It's He's just, an ass? Well, no, it's a, it's a code. Maybe that's the code. He's an ass. Uh, but no, it's just something the, the kids did. Um, maybe it was their club as a kid. And then he does it all the time because they're childhood friends. And that's the, the thing that connects them. Uh, but there's all these little snippets of what their life must have been like that we haven't seen here. Um, with Marty being uh, there and, oh, you remember my kid sister come, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, mama wants your Marty, mama. You know, she was always there. And so when he saw her, it wasn't love at first sight. It was, oh, geez, this girl who I've known all my life is now grown up. And, I, uh, wow, she's a woman and, and maybe I want to dance with her and talk to her and see where this goes. Um, and then, yeah, there's just little things like that with Mary, too, throughout the movie. Um where, yeah, we're not really following her story. We're following George, but we see enough of her that I think it. I think it's pretty, pretty well done. I mean, you see how what she does. She's the one that gives up the money uh, when the bank um, is closed and and the building and loan. Everyone wants their money back, and and she's the one that has the idea for the money. Um, and she's super supportive and and uh, good for the community, good for the kids. She's the one that. <clears throat> that gets the home built. She's the one that keeps them kind of moving along. I think. I think she's a great character. Okay. Yeah. No. I. I. I like her. She's fun. Like I didn't remember her, but as being funny, she's funny. She is pretty vibrant. Yeah. The only misstep is I think they paint a person like in the alternate reality where George never existed. They paint a person who never got married as the worst thing in the world. <laughs> she's an old maid. Yeah. She's. 30? Not even, because he's in right. his 20s, right? I don't know what right. he is supposed to be. But no, you know, so she's a good character. I, I, I'm trying to think of the characters in this. Like, Is there anyone who you, you're not a fan of in this film? Any character kind of maybe rubs you the wrong way or seems a little schmaltzy all over time? And I'm not asking as a leading question. I have one. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure just you curious. have one. Is yours Uncle Billy? No, I actually enjoy Uncle Billy. Is Uncle Billy, he's the drunk guy who loses the money? Yes. But yeah, no, I do. Yeah. Um, there's not really anybody that, that rubs him the wrong way. I mean, I think the, the worst person in this movie, um, which I have never really thought about, uh, until this last viewing, but the worst person in this movie, uh, who has no soul isn't Mr. Potter, but it's the guy that wheels Mr. Potter around because he, he could stop all of this. He could say, yeah, Potter's got the money. Hey, George, wait a minute. Potter's got the money, but he doesn't. And I hate that guy. I don't think you should be excusing Mr. Potter because I was oh, going to ask. Oh, Mr. Potter's horrible. Mr. Potter too. is a cartoonishly evil man. I think. Not entirely sure. Maybe people like that exist. Maybe they run for office and maybe they get elected. But I feel like there's something about him that, and that's a famous actor. That's Lionel Barrymore. Barrymore yeah. Okay. Um, Drew Barrymore is a great, great, great uncle. Maybe I don't know. Oh yeah, I don't. I was thinking grandfather, but I don't know. I he's a he is the movie's villain. He also gets away with it in the end, right? Like there's no comeuppance for him. There was supposed he doesn't to learn be. a lesson or anything. <clears throat> there was supposed to be. In fact, I think they filmed a, a scene um, where, as everyone is in the house celebrating, there was a scene where they pull back from the house and Mr. Potter um, is going to leave the eight thousand dollars at the doorstep. Um, oh really? Yeah, because what's the code during that era where certain things could be done and not done in in film? Uh, I should have looked that up. But there was 
what one of the movie codes at the time was oh, or that villains can't win. Yeah, that villains can't win, and so they, they were going to do that. So it showed that he had uh, remorse and and was giving the money back. But yeah, I'm not sure how they got it. Um, they they didn't have to put it in the movie. I love the scene too. Speaking of of movie codes, where Mary can't say the word pregnant. <laughs> like they can't say that and so they bounce around they just dance around the fact that she's having a kid they can but say I make it, love I, I noticed she says make love in the movie violent love yeah they, uh, which is the Oingo Boingo song I don't know if it's in reference to that we should find out but um, yeah no that that is uh, the things they can and can't do I don't know there's something interesting Mr. Potter is a cartoonish villain maybe I mean what do you think is he is that a yeah. I don't even know, like the guy pushing him around, and I get I mean, that. I mean, he's Scrooge McDuck, right? To a point. Well, Scrooge McDuck is Ebenezer Scrooge, I think. Oh, that makes sense. No, but he's that. He's that I'm kind guessing. of. I'm guessing. He's that kind of uh, cartoonish, evil, rich guy. Well, he's not like going around like money, money, money. Like he's not necessarily doing that, except for the scene where he actually does steal the money. <laughs> I'll tell you what I like. This you're asking me if I like the uncle character. Uh, what is his name? Uncle Billy. He calls Mr. Potty, Mr. Potty, Mr. Potter. He calls Mr. Potter a Nazi in the movie <laughs> in a very roundabout way. He actually says to Mr. Potter, not every heel was in Germany or Japan. He's calling him a Nazi, which I'm like, that's during the war. That's that's pretty sharp of yeah. you, drunk Uncle Billy. But um, no, I, that was Uncle movie... Billy's best day until he lost the money. <laughs> it sure was. He put an old man down for his collusion <laughs> with the... Third Reich, he probably took an apple, polished it, and bumped it on his arm or something. I bet that happened. He had a squirrel crawl up in him. What's with the animals at the bank? There's a bird flying around. And during a very emotional, painful scene where Uncle Billy is bawling his eyes out because he let George down and lost all the money, a squirrel comes into the scene. A squirrel. To console comes him. Comes into the scene, I guess. Yeah. Don't be nuts. I don't know what he says, but I didn't quite – I guess maybe those are – Frank Capra's friends? I don't know. I, I don't know. I remember reading about it um, years ago. There was a purpose, a reason for it, and I, I can't recall what it is. I'll, I'll see if I can find the book. The character you don't like, you don't like him because he's a because you're not supposed to, because that's the character. There's no one in the movie where you think maybe is distracting or, or doesn't work out or anything for you. Uh, No, not really. What are you going to say? I'm curious. What do you got? Well, Nick the Bartender? No, that's my favorite character. <laughs> I love Nick the Bartender. That's Sheldon Leonard, the creator yeah. of all TV of the 50s and 60s. I love that guy. Actually, interesting point with that guy, because he, yeah, we see him early in the movie. He works for the guy who, who's uh, Martini, who has this bar. When reality shifts and Bedford Falls becomes Hell Valley from Back to the Future Part Two, <laughs> um, Nick the Bartender, the bar is called Nick's. Nick the Bartender runs it. Yeah. His life is better without George Bailey. Like, he actually gets to run the show. It's his location. I guess. But does he seem like he's a better person for owning that bar? I mean, that bar looks like it's got a lot of floozies in it. Well, I that's, bet you they're that's running what the drugs. town like, – it's funny. I don't remember this. The town becomes a 1940s brothel. Yeah. Like, it becomes strip malls <laughs> and life. So he's doing what he's doing. He's giving the clientele what they want. He's running a show. I think he's doing all right. <laughs> I mean, I know he's a little abusive to the guy that he kicks out, but he kicks him out because that's the guy, George's old boss. Who that's Gower, yeah. I, I don't know. I love that character. I, and I, I, I wish he was in it more. I think it's fine <laughs> that he's not. No, I – and it's not that I hate this character. It's just – and he's necessary. So you hate Clarence. 
I'm not a big fan of Clarence. Oh man. Well, I get it to a point. I mean, I know what he's saying. He's a simpler man. They call him an idiot. The, the the talking galaxies at yeah, the beginning. Yeah. They call him uh what is it? They 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 refer him they compare him to the intelligence of some animal. I'm forgetting what it is, I can't find it in my notes. He's got the, the brain of a turnip. No, I don't know. <laughs> turnip. Um I was trying to do a balky impression and I didn't. So we'll cut that. <laughs> turnip. Um No, and I, and again, I know why he's there. He's this He's this child. He's a man child. He's, he's cute. He's got the high pitched voice. He's an angel. He doesn't quite know how the world works, but he does. And he's there for an important reason. And that's fine. I wish it was a different actor. I wish it was something was a little different because it's just, it's a little too. That's a character who I feel like just, just, you know, take off a shirt, put him in a diaper and let on camera, camera let him go a goo because he's just. There's something just uh, I don't know. That's cartoony. And again, we're talking talking stars and angels. Of course, it's cartoony. <laughs> sure. He's um, he's been dead for two hundred years. He references yeah. or something like that. Like, yeah. Because he also he's aware of who Mark Twain is. Sure. He's all excited that Mark. Well, but he's not like he thinks Mark Twain is writing a new book, which he's not, because he's been away long enough to not know it came out already. But he was away well before Mark Twain ever wrote a book. No, but I think I think what they're referencing is that in in heaven, uh, they have books. They have books, and but they get them late. And well, no, it, it, isn't Mark Twain dead at this point? He is. Yeah. Yeah. So he doesn't have a new book. No, no, he does in heaven. So they so heaven gets the books late. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I, I see. No. He, the, the, the deceased Mark Twain. You think he went to heaven? He didn't go. Yes, to he went to heaven. He's writing a new book, and and Clarence has apparently gotten a peek at it because oh, he's I saying, "Oh, you should see the new book he's writing," which All I've right, read miss- some of because we're bunk buddies or something. I don't know. <laughs> I believe is the line. And he goes, "A goo, <laughs> I'm a baby." <laughs> Um, I am like not Clarence? that put off by Clarence. No. Do you like him? Is that what you want? I mean, maybe it's hard to say. You've seen this movie so many times. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I've grown up with Clarence, so I can't see the movie without him. Um, does it feel like a tonal shift it, whenever it, he's on? It doesn't, it's, but it's supposed to. I think. It's a I mean, reality. because he is—he is an angel. He's a representative of of heaven, and he is pure in spirit, in positivity. Um, he is there to take a man from a very dark place uh, and bring him back from the brink of of killing himself. And it's such the opposite of what George is at that moment. He's such the opposite that George can't even, you know, barely likes the guy, you know? And I think that's part of the point. I, think I enjoy George the most during those scenes. Like, I really like depressed George. I like manic George. I like how readily he accepts that Clarence exists, but how annoyed he is with him. I like all of that. Yeah. But I just, and Clarence, he's not the most innocent. He bites a guy's arm. Well, he has to. He's got to get George out of there. George he gets arrested. He bites a guy's arm, and then he disappears because of <laughs> magic. Use your magic first, dick. <laughs> Don't injure poor Ernie or Bert. I like them. I like the two police officers, Ernie and Bert. And I like that they're friends in both realities. I think that's kind of sweet. Yeah, that's that's good. Um, and I think Bert, uh, the cop, I don't see that his life has changed much at all. Um, maybe he just makes more arrests because the town is so corrupt. Um, but he also seems to be somebody that, that kind of 
is even on the other side. Um, but no, I mean, you talk about Clarence using the magic after that. He's not supposed to use the magic. He's supposed to be doing this all by himself. This is for him to earn his wings. And Which is so, a weird rule because, like, he's already an angel. He's already a being that exists past death. You would think magic is part of that. You, you got to have something to – you got to have a goal in the afterlife. Do you? Because <laughs> if, it's, if it's eternity and you have a goal, you should either set a goal you'll never achieve or you get it and then you still have eternity. But like, once you I, have the wings, then you've got uh, free TV. You can, you can watch the, the past all by yourself. That, that was set up in the beginning. Free TV? What? No, he can't see the past. He can't look back at George as, as a youth because he doesn't have his wings yet. Oh, that's why they're telling us this movie. Yes. Yeah, so the other angel has to help him see it. And now that he got his wings, he has has his wings now, so he, he can do that himself. That was part of the the oh, okay. the, the oh, uh, plus of getting wings. That's super. <laughs> no, and and again, like I get why he's there, and he's not awful. I'm not saying I hate the character. I just. You know, he's an old, like when we first see him, this a weird shot. George is on the bridge. He's about to jump. There's no like magical light that drops Clarence off. There's no like stepping out of the shadows. It's just, he's just standing there kind of looking, you know, staring at him like Michael J. Pollard or something. And I just, I don't know. I, uh, he's just this, he, I, I really think it is just that actor thought he was adorable. I'm going to play it so cute. I missed my diaper. So I don't know what Jeez. it was, but I just said so that. I don't know. I, he could have been Uncle Billy. He was. Uh, he auditioned for Uncle Billy. So I, would have liked Uncle, I would have liked a drunk angel or an angel <laughs> with a little bit of a fault. Maybe it's too late in the game because, again, it's just – that was – you are talking about was I checking the time when I was watching it. I checked at one point to see where we were. It was like 20 minutes right around the time that the story kicks in. <laughs> Not the story. There's a lot to this movie. I'm just saying the part of the story that I know – yeah, it's it's a, such a compact and again well paced, quick. But this movie is very well paced. I wasn't bored by any of this movie. I, I I very much enjoyed it. I very I was with it the whole time. The parts I remembered came back. The parts I didn't remember were even better. Like I I was all set to be annoyed by that Buffalo Boy. Won't you come out and dance tonight? Song, but I enjoyed that. I was all set to That's be a great annoyed. Scene. Yeah, no, it is. And that, it's this, like it, you're talking about a good pace, but it also shows. Just the the slow burn of their relationship too. I mean, you're skipping through time, but I mean that's just the great kind of like you called it the meet cute. That's a, that's a great I didn't moment. Mean to, that's a dumb phrase. Uh, but it's but it's that's exactly how you get together. Um, when when there's somebody you're kind of crushing on, you got to have that kind of situation where suddenly you're you're in the pool and then you're fighting for clothes and then you're walking home in outfits that you weren't wearing, you know, a half an hour ago, uh, and just how weird of a situation they're in. Uh, it brings them closer quicker um, and then pulls them right apart again when, when his dad dies. No, it's, and honestly, watching it made me think a little bit about like when Harry met Sally. It's a nice sort of, they picked the right moments. I know I was asking earlier, do we know enough about Mary? And I guess we do. They picked the right moments. I don't know how many people are at this movie. I know I saw on the list. They, they, everything is integral to the plot. Maybe that's why it moves so quickly. Yeah. Everything we're shown of his past, from him sledding with on the ice, with, you know, rescuing his brother, to the stuff with the poison as at the pharmacist, to every little thing comes into play. You know, including their relationship. We're, we are seeing it build. The house that they move into, the fact that he wants to be a travel whatever, and she blew up all of his brochures, all of that. So it's very well-paced. I very much enjoy it. And um, 
No, I'm, I'm not putting it down. I'm just, it, it was interesting to me because while I enjoy the last 20 minutes, and while it is fun and, and enjoyable, and I did get choked up, and I'll talk about that in a minute. There's one thing that choked me up. Honestly, I almost enjoyed the front half of the, the front part of the movie more almost. There is a lot going on in that movie. And it's, you know, and it's, they don't keep flashing back to the angels that often, right? It's, it's almost, it's easy to forget. Not that you would, because it's, it's this, this pop culture, you know, and blazed on your head, but it's easy to forget that this weird science fiction, well, fantasy, not science fiction, but this weird supernatural element is going on. Yeah, I mean, they only use them when they have to, you know, do a shortcut, when they've got to do a montage of, of moments or something, and they can fill in the blanks of who's done what and gone where. And it's not that often. Uh, yeah, there's there's just big chunks of just seeing life. Do you know the greeting card that the movie's based on? I know it was inspired by a greeting card that someone else wrote. Yeah, I guess he was an author, and he just wrote a short story, and it was just a personal greeting card. He sent it, you know, just like you would send cards out to your friends and family. He included this little short story in, in the cards that he sent out to his friends and family. What um, was the basis of that story? I, I I read it years ago in high school. Oh, you did? And I can't recall it. Yeah, because I've got – in high school, this was my favorite movie. I loved everything about it. I Even watched in high it. school? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's when I really fell in love with it. I think I like it more now. I mean, I know I like it more now. I think it just – it's a good, well-made, amazingly made film, I think. Um, and it just tells a great story. And then also my sentimental value. Um, so I, but I how it. does it become a kid who got to grow up with the Goonies, with Indiana Jones, eventually with it, with When Harry Met Sally, with cartoons, with Voltron, with He-Man? How does this piece of cinema that at this point was 40 years old, how does that become that kid's favorite thing at that time? I, th- I imagine that, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, but I imagine I connected to the fact that no matter what, if you live a good life, th- things will turn out okay. Um, and uh, as false as that might be, just the sen- <laughs> the sentiment of that, the idea of that, and seeing that in in this story, uh, a story that you see every year, and so you, it it becomes familiar uh, and and. George is a family friend, basically. You watch it so often. Um, and, and just this this idea that uh, right at the end, the, the signature, uh, the inscription, I mean, in the book where he says, no man is a failure who has friends. That's um, the part that teared me up. Yeah. That's that, when I got choked. With only a moment to go in the movie. Yeah. I didn't think it was going to hit me. When that came up, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to talk if anyone asked something. Because that, that did hit something. Yeah. And it hits you because of everything that that came before it, you know, all these little moments where really he was just living his life, uh, helping somebody uh, own a home, um, helping uh, Gloria Graham uh, move on with her life and, and try to become a better person. That was Is that uh, Violet. That's Violet. Yeah. Okay. Um, character. And just. Staying in town and, and keeping the family business running, which not only helped um, him, but it helped Uncle Billy. And it kept the the two other quirky characters at the the building alone. They feel like they should have their own little side sitcom show. 
Uh, oh, the people who talk louder and faster than they need to talk? Yeah. Or are you talking about the squirrel and the crow? <laughs> no, no, no. The woman and the, the little Eustace uh, guy. Um, I like them. But yeah, I mean, it's that. I think that's that's it. Plus, I was just a huge fan of, of Christmas time and holidays. Okay. That, and so, see, I get that part then. You, I just. You have it t- all, all that tied in together. And, and. I used it to kind of identify, I think, maybe who I wanted to be as a person uh, at that time. You wanted time. to be a depressed guy who has to settle I wanted to be a good guy who had friends, who... Which means settling is what this movie teaches. I mean, that's the thing. I don't... This wouldn't have spoken to me as a child. That's what I'm trying to figure out for you. Because at 10, I didn't have the sense of, you know, of the mistakes one makes in life, of the decisions in life to, to move forward, of helping people in that sense. I don't know what I would have thought of this because, again, I only knew it for what the last 20 minutes are. The you know, because who doesn't want that? I would have loved for that to have happened. Somebody showed me last night what life would have been like without me, and I'm happy. You know, it makes me happy, whatever. I would have loved that. But watching it now at 43, I mean, again, because last time I watched this, I was probably 23. Even then, I don't think this movie would impact me. Like, I would. Gets the sentimentality of the end, but also that stuff doesn't always sit with me. I can be touched by it, but then I'm also like, ah, everyone's singing a song. They brought all the money in a basket, which probably wasn't the smartest idea. And the guy who lost the money is carrying the basket. But (laughs) this time around, there is something sad and consoling now as an adult in that this is someone who didn't get the life he thought he wanted. Some of which were great things to want. You know, it's amazing to want to get out of the town you grew up in. It's amazing to not want to go into the financial work, to want to be an explorer, see the world, or engineer, or build things. And it's even okay as he expresses the think he didn't want to get married. I mean, those are fine things to think. Some of those things change with time, and some of those things we're just learning to cope with. Like, I think he would still love to leave Bedford Falls. He's not gonna, because they settled in. They got their family. They're doing that. Probably doesn't want to work at the savings alone. He's gonna to keep it running because now he owes all these people. So there's this weird acceptance in life that the life that he wanted as a child and can still flash back is not the life he got. He's with the person he wanted to be and they have kids and that's all great. This The end of this movie doesn't ring false to me. Like I, I believe it. I believe that feeling. I also, I think his life's still not great. <laughs> It's good. It's a good life. And he's happy for it. The next day, it's not nothing like he didn't change, which I think is fine. There's no Ebenezer Scrooge change with George Bailey because he got reminded, basically, which I think we need sometimes reminded that here's some good things. <laughs> here's some people who care. That's great. That's why. And that's why I think that line that Clarence writes in the book, that no man is a failure without friends. What was it? I forget. Uh, no man is a failure who has friends. Yeah. Which is harsh if you don't. That'd be a harsh thing to read. But why that choked me up is that is that simple reminder of the big things we think in life, the big things we want, you know, the, the things that I want. I want to be a screenwriter. I want to be this well-known podcaster, blah, 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 blah. I've got a couple people I get to talk to. You know, I've got you on this microphone once a week. I've got um, you know, a small circle of friends that, and that is to think about that does matter. That is satisfying. And it's on such a micro scale to the bigger deal, the bigger issues. And I think, you know, the title is almost hyperbole, 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 hyperbole is what I'm trying to say. You know, it's a wonderful life. It's like, well, it's good. 
<laughs> not good enough, just it's good. It's a good life. And I, I, that meant something to me watching it this time. And it wouldn't have in the past because I would have been, I could get caught up in the emotion, but you know, I kind of used to, I was not looking forward to the end of this movie while I was watching it. I did not want to see the, everyone's cheering and they're all going to sing and Merry Christmas movie house. Like all of that I thought was going to play so flat and it didn't, it felt pretty authentic. I actually liked Jimmy Stewart. Like I, I was also going to, I was prepping to once again, think like, Oh, he's talking like he's a baby, but no, it's, it's, like you, it it, it 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 worked for me. Good, but it would not have as a kid. I would have yeah. been with people who liked it, and I would have been in my head making fun of it. You had said in the first half of the show that there that when we watched it, yeah, I remember I was making jokes about it. What was the joke? Oh, the joke that has stuck with me all the years, and even now as I watch it, and the line is said, I hear your comment in my head. It's when. Um, they just voted down Potter, and they're going to keep the building and loan open. And George is about to leave to catch a train to go to college. And he go, the guy goes, there's just one thing. There's just one thing. They want you to stay on as the, as the CEO or whatever it is. And George goes, well, well, no, Uncle Billy, he's your man. And you say, if he can't do it, no one can. That was it. That was it. That, that's the joke. <laughs> that was the height of comedy in... I'm not saying it was the height of comedy. And prophetic, because he can't. I'm saying it's the thing from that viewing that I will always remember. This this heated moment, this huge moment where he has to make the decision of, do I let them close down the building alone so I can go to college? Or do I stay on because they need this place and I'm going to stay on? And in that moment, he says, well, but Uncle Billy, he's your man. You chime in with, if he can't do it, no one can. Ah, uh, dick. I'm a dick. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You're not. But you didn't fully grasp the moment that time, but this time you did, so that's great. <laughs> so has your relationship with this movie changed a little bit? Uh, yeah, it's it's changed over the years. And, and I mean, it's interesting that you talk about uh, the ending, the, the book uh, inscription, the way you do this time, because I see it differently this time. There have been times in my life where I would read that and uh, at the end and, and that part, and I'd feel very warm inside because, yeah, that's true. I've got a decent life. You know, maybe I'm not on the, the path I wanted, but I, I've got a great circle of friends. Uh, but of late, my, my circle of friends has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. So when that line was read this viewing, um, I was like, oh, oh, shit. I'm on oh, really? failure territory here. <laughs> I got I to gotta make a few more friends, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And that's the one of the last things you see in the movie. Yes. That's what I was left with. Wow. What a, what a weird litmus test for our placement in society. Yeah. I, I'm glad to have watched it. I mean, one, I'm, you know, as friends, I mean, this is your favorite movie. I sh- not should watch it, but to watch it, yes, I get something out of it about you. And I can see that. And I do get a lot of why you like this movie. I don't get why you liked it at 10. But again, I didn't know you at 10. I get why you like this movie from the point that I met you till now. And I like it. And I'd watch it again. Truthfully, I I do have a cold that wasn't a tear. I don't know if that was on the <laughs> mic. I, sniffled. I would watch this again. I don't know. I get why I didn't make it my festive holiday thing. It's just not something that I grew up with. It wasn't in the house. 
And then it has that thing where because everybody talks about it and it wasn't my thing, because everybody also talks about Rudolph Christmas Vacation, and I watch those. But this, I just never went to because I thought it was overrated. And I thought it was schmaltzy. And I just, but it's it's not. It's it's not a schmaltzy film. No. Every, you know, people singing in groups, that's always a little schmaltzy. Sure. But no, it's it's sincerely, I was really surprised that it's an honest meditation on failure and just living with that and that it's not bad to, you know that you don't you know we're talking about you know goals in heaven and what you know do you do the you know you're not going to reach them all yeah and so yeah i i enjoyed this and i would watch it again i don't know if other people watch it no but no, i, I would, would you watch it again this season because Probably I, not because i i'm just contemplating watched it. yeah i'm contemplating watching it one more time before the end of the okay. season well, that's nice i I wouldn't do that. I I am glad that it's become a Christmas movie. I mean, I could have seen this at any point in my life and it would have hit me. But this idea of a tradition as something to look forward to as to look at how will I gauge myself watching this? Like I have it with other things. I watch the Star Wars movies once a year, Nightmare Before Christmas, um, any certain movies that when I put them on, even if it's not annual, going back to them, it's always like a way of checking in. Where am I at with this thing that's been there all my life? So I like the idea of a tradition with this. I don't know if it'll become one for me. I don't think I'll watch it every year, but I would watch it again at Christmas. And I get, I think I do get why outside of just the public domain availability of it, why this became the incessant and embraced Christmas thing uh, that it is. Merry Christmas, Tim. Oh, thank you, sir. Yeah. Uh, Merry Christmas to you is what I, I'm saying right back at you. Thank you. There. Um, is there anything else you want to say about the film? No, I think I think that ties it up sweetly. Well, I do thank you, because last week you said I gave you the gift of making you aware that MacGyver is available <laughs> on Amazon Prime. Yeah. I thank you for making me watch this. And again, because I watched, I did and I can't not. I would not have chosen this I would, on its own. I would not ever have sit, sat down with this. But I watched this and enjoyed it. But also watched it as just a way of kind of reminding myself that of of, of you and kind of a who you are because I know it means something. So happy to have that connection. Oh, there. that's great! Thanks, Tim. I'm gonna go watch a Transformers movie now. Wow, I would love to do that. Why didn't we do that? We could have fucking done that one this you show. Already this did, show didn't you already do that? Well, I really pre- appreciate you reading the titles. I did the soundtrack. <laughs> I talked about the soundtrack to the movie. And you can find that if you'd like, listeners. You can find that online where? At 20popcast.com. That's the uh, website. There are links to all of our past episodes. There are also links to subscribe. Because that's the thing. If you are enjoying the show on a week-to-week basis and you haven't yet, I would ask, why don't you subscribe to it? You can subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on some other forms of podcatchers. That way you get a a new episode every week when it goes up. We're good on Uh, trips. We're, we're pretty good on trips. Every now and then it might just kind of be like, oh, I, I lost track of where we were going because <laughs> I was trying to block out the sound of this warble. But um, you can also, uh, there's links to all of our social media there. You can follow us on uh, Twitter at Subcultist. You can follow us on Instagram, also at Subcultist. Uh, you can like us on Facebook, updates there. Um, yeah, I mean, that's all I've got on my end. I feel like I'm, now I'm stumbling through this because I've got to decorate the tree, buy the gifts, and... Uh, oh, my. I, I thought I had something there I didn't but is there something would you like to plug yourself uh, sure yeah follow me as well at RH Canning um, go ahead and, and tweet to us and let us know what, what your thoughts are 
on It's a Wonderful Life. Is it a tradition in your household? Um, have you introduced it to your kids? Are you a child? Do you like it? You know, all that good stuff. Merry Christmas, adult movie house. Oh, I thought you were going to say one because I had a bunch. <laughs> I wish I had known. Good, I, I could have prepped I, I know I should have texted you because I had like uh, Echo based on Hoth. <laughs> I had the Fright Zone. Um, I had, uh, I forgot what it is, the town that Goonies took place in. I thought it would be a great little bit to do the Merry Christmas to all these pop culture things, but we didn't. I was, that's fine. I was ill prepared. You, well, you weren't, you weren't, it wasn't suggested to you, sorry. <laughs> Sometimes planning involves me contacting you. Yeah. I'll try that. Uh, in the new year but yes Merry Christmas uh, to you though and to you as well thank you and to you, you the listener at home and to you at the adult movie house